0: Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, b Talks Press. Bridget McGowan here, and welcome to today's edition or today's episode of Own the Microphone. I have with me today Steve Hughes. Steve,
1: welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Bridget. Glad to be here.
0: So, Steve, you've been in the speaking game for more than a decade, more than 15 years, actually. How did you get started?
1: It's kind of a fun, kind of an organic series of events. And it all started with a dare that I accepted over Easter Ham from a friend of mine. And he basically said, Hey, I dare you to do stand up comedy. Just, just try it out. I was in advertising at the time and mediumly happy, all lovely. And I thought, Cool, I'll, I'll go do some stand up. I think I'll be the next, you know, Chris Rock or who knows. I'll be so funny and I'll be on The Tonight Show. And I learned very quickly it's pretty tough to do. But what was fun about doing open mic nights while I had a regular daytime job was it just was a fun, creative outlet. I just kept doing it and kept doing it. And then through a random series of events, a a friend of mine from high school who lived in at the time in Chicago at a big law firm called me up and basically said the following, he said, Steve, I've been advertising for a long time and you've probably made a lot of presentations and now you're doing this comedy thing on the side. He said could you come up over lunch one day to our firm and make all of our lawyers funny and i was like what i mean you know that's yeah and i'll make them taller and i'll cure cancer and like world peace like what do you really want because you know that's a classic you know client question what are you really looking for and he said basically steve we're we're really good at what we do we're smart we're not that good at talking to humans and we can't tell a story to save our lives could you come up and help us with that and i said okay, I can do that. They paid me nicely, put me in a nice hotel and flew me up and back. And I came home and I basically said to my wife, I said, I had no idea this kind of thing even existed. But if I did enough of them, we could help, uh, you know, we could cover the bills. You know, we could make it happen. And so I kind of crazily, in my opinion, or just maybe unwittingly, I don't know what the word would be, but I just, I quit my job six months later with one client. So probably not what I'd recommend other people to do but for me i 'm kind of an all or nothing guy i 'm kind of a look and, and ask questions later, leap before you know you, you, you ask, and here I am you know fifteen plus years later. What is your favorite part about what you do? I have to admit as much as I try not to judge how well I do, but I just love to be able to set up a program i don 't care if it 's ten people in a conference room or hundreds of people in a big hall at some association event. I just love the idea that I can move an audience and get a reaction and mainly in the laughter area. I love that they can I can make them smile. I can make them forget their troubles, but then if I do it right, I keep their attention with the humor, but I'm delivering some good action-oriented takeaways that they can just be a better person afterwards. So it's not just yuck it up time and then they go back to their the way they used to be.
0: Do you do anything differently If you're in a conference room with 10 people versus being in this big hall with a hundred or a thousand people, do you do anything differently?
1: Here's I've heard the conventional wisdom is a keynotes, a whole different animal than training. I'm a big, and and yes, there's an aspect of that. That's true, but I'm a big believer in people enjoy doing not just sitting, you know, so they, so I think of it this way. If someone wants to get better at piano or golf or become a pilot, At some point, they want to tickle the ivories, grab a club, and they want to get behind in the cockpit versus me telling you about flight or about piano or about golf. So yes, there's a different dynamic and it's a little bit more of a challenge to do things from an interactive perspective, but I enjoy doing a keynote where I'll still have people circle up, huddle up, do this and and, uh, try this out. And then the aha moments that come from that versus just and I know a lot of speakers do this. It's a little more kind of one sided. It's all beautiful. They tell great stories. They move people. But I, I I try to take my my trainings and I try to keynoticize them, which is not a word, but but try to bring as much of that kind of energy and back and forth in the room, whether it's a hundred people, ten people, or a thousand. I just, you know, I, that that's how I roll.
0: And on your website, it lists Steve in one word, funny. What do you say to listeners who will tell you, I just am not funny? How do I how do I get out there and mesmerize a crowd of 10 or more?
1: I would say hire me. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I would say that, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. You don't have to be funny by all means. In fact, that's one of the big things I talk about is, you know, a lot of times people think of speaking as a performance and there's a performance element to it. But when you think about performance, whether you've been in a piano recital or you've been in a play or part of a singing group, you can hit a wrong note. You, you, can, you can mess up. You can do the wrong thing. But I think of, of presentations and keynotes as more of a conversation. I'm, yes, there's a performance element to it. But I always say to people, stay within yourself. I mean, be who you are. And to use an example, think about the, the whole wonderful variety of stand-up comedians that are out there. And yes, this is in the funny area, but some stand still and barely move. Others just roam all over the stage. Some yell, some are mellow, but they all kind of get their point across. But when someone asks me, hey Steve, how can I add some humor to a presentation? Again, I have no problem saying to people, feel free to borrow with attribution or with, you know, you can borrow, you know, if you're starting out like a a funny quote or or a funny story or, you know, that, that maybe didn't even happen to you but illustrates a point. You know, I I have no problem with that. But the main thing is, I say to people, record everything you do if you can. Please record. They're not always video, but just audio. Because you will, at some point, spontaneously say something. Maybe you react to a moment. Maybe you just say something off the cuff or whatever it might be that's kind of off your regular script. That's funny. And it'd be a crime to have that get lost. It'd be a crime not to have that be picked up and say that again or recreate the same thing. So I... And also, by the way, no one, you don't have to be funny. You know, it's like there's, I think of great speakers who get up there and own the stage and they're not really funny. They might have a funny moment or two, but boy, they just, like I, for for instance, I remember hearing Bonnie St. John speak. If you you know Bonnie, she was, uh, for those who don't know her, she was featured on a, on a Starbucks cup a couple years ago, but she's a, a Paralympic athlete who lost her leg and told the most amazing story about the Olympics and how, you know, the, the idea of going forward and making it happen. And she may have been funny here and there, but I don't look back and say, wow, Bonnie was sure funny. I just thought, man, she moved me and made me think about obstacles differently. And so to me, funny is great, but by I have to be, uh, I'm not a huge fan of someone trying to be super funny and it just, kind of falls flat. I'd rather have you stay within yourself and and just do the things that kind of come naturally.
0: That's it right there, Steve, The staying within yourself. I'll tell people in a minute because I am often asked about adding humor to presentations and how do I do it and so on and so forth. Yeah. Well I'm great at self-deprecation. So I don't necessarily plan it into the presentation. Yeah. That's just part of me and and you know someone will say something or make a comment that I wasn't expecting. And I'll even, you know, jokingly tell the audience, there's always a point in my presentation when it goes off the rails, right? This is that point right now, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So it's about staying in your natural self, if you will, and doing what comes authentically to you. And a lot of people will say that they're not funny, but I challenge them on that. And I want you to think about, you know, family or friends or close associates who know you to do something that's a little funny, a little quirky, a little humorous ever so often. Like, what is that thing? Because you yep. have a little, you know, whether it's a quick wit, whether it's a facial expression, whether it's, there's something, right. uh, your way with telling stories, ask friends, ask people who know you really well, what's that's something good funny that I do? Fact, and and then incorporate that.
1: You just, you just made me think of something. One of my comedy mentors, Told me that one of the best ways for a comedian, but certainly a speaker, uh, any kind of communicator, is to think back the last time, as you're hinting at, when you kind of were telling a story at a family event or just with a bunch of friends out for coffee or a cold beverage, and you said something that was really funny or told that funny story. Think back to what that was, and is there any way to take that moment, that incident, that 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 vignette or that story, and can you work it into your keynote? Because if it was funny once. The cool thing about it is if you told it once, you told it, and you're, you weren't thinking about being on stage. You weren't thinking about, I got to hit my punchline. You just were talking. But if you can find a way to recapture that and bring it in, it's, it's kind of what you're just saying a second ago. It's there to be had. There's a lot of think of yourself as a minor and you can go back and you can ding ding, ding you know, find these diamond moments of humor in, in your in your story.
0: Steve Hughes is a professional speaker. He has received his CSP designation from the National Speakers Association, and that is Woo-hoo. certified speaking professional. Yes, yes, yes. Only 10% of speakers worldwide have earned that distinction. And Steve absolutely loves what he does. He loves the stage, the travel, the challenge. And most of all, he loves seeing the eyes of his audience light up when they have made a personal Breakthrough. And when Steve is not on the road speaking at conferences, associations, law firms, or competitions, he's also obsessed with home improvement shows, really good barbecue, the Kansas Jayhawks, and you might just find him at his daughter's tennis match or one of her cheerleading competitions. Now, Steve, tell me, we know you love speaking. Tell me, what is a presentation you just absolutely love to deliver time and time again? Like if I were to say, Steve, I'm going to give you the microphone in the next 60 minutes. What would you present on and why is that your choice?
1: Well, I love this question. I, I can tell this isn't your first rodeo. I, I love the idea of, I call it unflappable. It's yet to be unflappable. It's, it's essentially how do you build in real time resistance into what you already do? And whether it's a keynote or a training, it's very interactive. I draw, I think of it this way if, if um, the science of, of happiness and the research of positive psychology and improv theater all got together and had a baby. That's that's the program. It's so it's it's a whole it's it's science based, uh, with the latest you know information out there, but with the interactivity of improv and what I think kind of makes it more fun a little bit different. Is I don't lead with improv. I don't say hey I'm an improv guy, which which I am, but I'd rather almost have it sneak up on people than you know because sometimes people have preconceived notions, right? They they have different. Well, oh my gosh, I don't want to do that. Or, Are you going to make me pretend I'm the color red or, you know. Hey, you're you know just pick a person. You know you're you're suddenly a a police officer. Like what? You know I don't I don't want to suddenly do that. So so I'll work up and kind of bring people on a journey. And it's through these exercises, application, feedback, etc., that people then say, "Gosh, you know what? Life isn't scripted. We improvise twenty four seven. You know even like right now, you told me in general the stuff we'd cover, but I don't know exactly what it was. We're improvising back and forth. And I like to see people." then take that information back to their job, back to their home life, wherever they are, and say, you know what? I've got a pretty cool brain on my shoulders. I can use the things my brain already does naturally, but kind of reorient it to help me thrive, to bounce back, to not get in a downward spiral, to not listen to that negative voice in my head, to kind of quote unquote go for it. And, and not to be too rah-rah, but just the idea, if I could summarize it this way, Everything in improv that happens on stage, let's say, you know, you and I are doing a scene together. If they say your suggestion is Starbucks and you go, whether you are my boss who's not happy with me, whether we're coworkers, whether you're a a delivery person or whether you're a customer and and you haven't been served yet or whatever the thing is, towards me, that's called an offer. And it's my job as your scene partner to accept the offer and say yes to that and, and do something with it. That's the yes and. And so I think back if you look back across any life, really, you say it's the times you said yes and then did something with those offers, with those opportunities when when really usually pretty cool things happen, sometimes scary. But on the back end, like I'm glad I put myself out there. I'm glad I said yes to the offer of, of doing the dare of stand up comedy. I'm glad I said yes to my friend who said, hey, can you make our lawyers funny? I'm glad I said yes to the thought of my brain to say, hey, you ought to quit your job and just go for it. You know, jump out of the nest and hopefully you'll fly by the time you hit the ground. I mean, that that sort of thing. So that's the if people can walk away with that, not being reckless, but just saying it's so easy to say no. It's so easy to shut down and minimize in downplay, et cetera. But but if we had more of that, that attitude of what could poss- what, what could this lead to? What might this be big or small? I just think that le- that leads to more exciting life.
0: I cannot disagree with you, quite quite frankly. Now, you are best known for giving people permission to be awesome. And we just saw that demonstrated in your answer to that last question. So I'm wondering, how did you land on that? How did you figure out that that was, I don't know what we want to call it, your calling, I
1: guess. Right. Well, okay. Here's, it's a series of probably three or four yeses again. So you already heard the big ones of stand up and trying it and quit my job. Well, I have a client in Connecticut that uh, just a couple of years ago, they, I come back to them three or four years in a row and I would often do a keynote plus a breakout. And so they then hey said, Hey Steve, what can you do this coming, this coming fall? And I honestly, I was, I was out of ideas. Like I, you've done everything. I've got nothing left. I, I don't have any other programs. And so I I kind of pulled, I guess, a Bill Gates, which I guess famously Bill Gates and it was Paul Allen, whoever his partner was, when they first said, hey, we can do DOS. We can do basically, you know, we, we can make Microsoft. The first time they, they promised it, it wasn't fully done. It wasn't there yet. They basically made the promise to deliver on this date, and then they used that as their motivator to, to make it happen. So, so when they asked me, they said, Steve, my, in April, whatever it was, and they said, what can you do for us in October? I said, oh, I got a great idea. It's a it's a program called Unflappable, and it's uh, it's a uh, it's improv based resilience. And they said that sounds fun. And then I had five six months to <laughs> to figure out what that looked like. But I should take a step back and say I've been speaking professionally for almost ten years at the time or so, and I'd also been doing improv. I'd shifted from stand up to improv, which I admit is closer to my heart. Stand up's great, but you're just by yourself. I'm much better at reacting to scenes and what happens and kind of be more collaborative, like an ensemble. So I took the best aspects of what I already did in terms of communicating and speaking and, and connecting with people. I took the best parts of the improv that I learned here and there, threw in some exercises and games, and then did my research on on the why does it work? Not just it's fun, but, but what's, the, what's the study from Harvard or Penn or doesn't matter, Michigan, you name the school, what's the research that backs that up? And then I did it and and I, okay, this will sound very braggy. So this is my 10 second brag portion. Of the program. So, hope you all forgive me or turn down the volume just for 10 seconds. (laughs) Now, is, uh, is, you know, most of the time when you do a new program or a new anything, you're usually not that, the first time, you know, riding a bike, anything, you're not really that good at it. This first time out of the gate, it's one of the best programs I ever did. And I think why it worked so well is it was the most authentic. It was the best combination of the authentic me. I wasn't trying to be anyone else. It just was like, if you peel back all the onion layers, you got to the little center. That's who I was. And that's what I did on stage. And so I said, wow, this, this is where I want to go. So that, that's that been there for a couple of years now. And it's just been a lot of fun.
0: I have a couple of points to make with regard to that. Absolutely spot on. So the first time you deliver a presentation, I everybody, I don't want you to be afraid because you think that it's not going to come off flawlessly. Here's right. how you work with that. You make sure you're right? So you, you have it in your head. And we've talked about Correct. that a billion times. And Steve, you know this being a yes. professional, uh, uh, the most yes. professional of the professionals, you know that, right. right? That goes without saying. But for listeners, I want you to know yes, you may develop a program and it's your first time delivering it, but that doesn't mean you abandon appropriate practice well beforehand. So when you get up there, you know, like the back of your hand. Now, what Steve said about this being one of his most dynamic engagements was because of that authentic piece to it. Mm -hmm. I'm right there with you. I will never forget delivering a presentation, this really big conference in Washington, D.C., back in May of 2019. And I remember telling a story that was not part of the script, not whatsoever. Someone said something or posed a question. I don't know. There was something that happened in the audience that made me stop and say, whoa, wait a minute. And I launched into this story, And it was the best presentation or one of my best. And again, it it was a personal story, but it was authentic. It was not planned. It was not scripted. I just told them what the dealio was. (laughs) It was was quite memorable. So put in the practice, don't be afraid to do something for the first time, especially if somebody throws something at you. If it's generally in your wheelhouse, just, you know, If you know there's going to be enough time for you to be able to plan and practice and prepare and research and pull it together, like you had those six or seven months from April to October to pull it together. If you know you can do it, tell them, yes, sure, I've got this amazing program, and then get to work and make it happen.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. In fact, I do want to qualify, too, and I'm glad you said this. Most of the time I've done the other, I probably, I've said maybe eight or nine different total kind of specific programs, whether it's a training or a keynote over the course of my time. The other eight or nine, besides the one I did that I just told you about was, it was nice. I mean, it was good the first time, but you know, I think to manage expectations, it's okay that it's, you didn't knock it out of the park or just like have people rise to their feet and go just bonkers because it is your first time. And so to me, it's, it's like with stand-up. I, the other thing I laugh about is I read a bunch of books on stand-up before I did my first one. And I also invited all of my friends to come see it. And I wish I would have read this sooner. But they said, don't. one of the books, it was like their 10th chapter saying, by the way, don't invite all your friends to your first stand-up because you'll be terrible. You know, that kind of thing. So to me, it's allowing yourself the freedom and the space to try something out. And don't expect it to be perfect the first time. And this again, if you're recording it, hopefully just turn on your whatever recording device on your phone or whatever voice memo and then just look at it and say, I could be smarter here or whatever. And then I love, by the way, Bridget, when you said you had your program you did in, in, in 2019 and the whole thing wasn't new, but you weren't afraid to try something new within it. So I, I think about, again, back to comedians. If they have an hour-long set, good for them. But they're probably going to have maybe five or 10 minutes within that set of of all the stuff they do that might be new. Because otherwise, if you never try new stuff, you're going to be doing the same program year in, year out, and it's going to eventually become a little outdated. So just a little, you know, dipping your toe at some point into that new space, trying it out and just see how it reacts, you know, or see how people react to it. For
0: sure. For sure. Steve, in a few minutes, you'll have an opportunity to ask me a question. So I'm looking forward to that. My next question for you is this one. What is a mistake that you've seen speakers make, or maybe it's even one you have made, that hmm, maybe people don't realize is a misstep, or maybe they do, but they don't know how to fix it, What's what's a common mistake or common hiccup that you've seen with speaking or maybe that, you know, you've experienced and how I'm did you fix two it? Two things.
1: One is probably if you've done any kind of research or any kind of just exploration or talk to someone like Bridget, you know, you're going to It's basically even though I love improv is I don't think people prepare enough for even a keynote. They, they don't do enough work. In fact, they end up having part of their actual keynote or their or their training is still almost like practicing in real time. So to me, I'd say highly recommend you practice even more than you think you need to, and not you have to have it down to a perfect atomic clock precision and you know every syllable, but you know how the flow will go, or if your time gets, you have a, a 50 minute session and it's now 42, how do you drop off that eight minutes and still stay in the flow kind of is the one thing. Then the second one, I learned this the hard way a couple early on, is I would tell a personal story. And, and obviously personal stories are great, but I didn't fully connect it back to the purpose. Like it ended up just being like, okay, thanks for telling that it was interesting. It was nice. But, it, but if it's not so many people can, can, I don't want to say the word glom onto, but they can say, Oh, I see myself in that. Or thanks for telling me. I now have this insight. It was just more like, okay, it was good. I just think sometimes people think that almost Well, well to remember the stage is not a therapy couch. You know, it's just, um, you know, that that's why there are therapists. And, you know, if you have issues or challenges you've been through, great. But it's every story or really every activity, every game, every quote, every aspect of your program needs to have a purpose. Uh, you don't want anyone scratching their head and saying that was lovely, but OK, what what about me? You know, that sort of thing.
0: Those are really good pointers. And everybody, you've heard me say this before, and I am not going to miss an opportunity to say it again. When it comes to practice, I want you to practice your entire presentation from start to finish a minimum of three times. And I am talking about a full on, quote unquote, dress rehearsal. You don't have to get dressed for it in the actual outfit that you'll wear on the day that it's showtime. You can, if that works for you. But I'm saying pretend, you are right there in the room and you are doing that presentation live. You're pausing for the laughter. You're pausing for questions, whatever. It's fully choreographed. I want you to do it full on a minimum of three times. And if you're limited by time, do at least the first 10 minutes three times and the last 10 minutes, three times. Yep. I know you have an hour to devote to showing up and giving the best performance, the best presentation that you can, but I'm telling you, if you can nail the first 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes minimum, that's great. But Oh my goodness. If you can nail the whole thing, even better.
1: And I, one thing I, I tell my clients when I work with them is do exactly what you said, three times minimum. I love it. I say at least one of those recorded and then I say to, to, to then watch it back, but here's what I like to say first: first, listen to it without without video. Just listen, and you will hear you'll hear hiccup words or you know crutch words, or you say blah blah blah, right? Or da da da, yes. Which I found myself doing early on when I'd say something that was supposed to be funny and it kind of wasn't. I'd be like, "Would you please validate me with a with a response?" You'll find your your crutch words or anything that's ham fisted or whatever. Then I say watch it back without the sound, and now you look for you know. Do you have any verbal or, or physical tics or anything that just kind of, wow, that's a weird gesture you did 50 times in a row. And then finally, watch it back with audio and video, and then you get to see it all kind of come together. But I think, again, let's go back to this. If we're, if we're, if many people in the audience listening here are going to go speak somewhere and either it's a part of their job or is a part of being paid, you know, then you absolutely have a, it's. It's it's like, it's a minimum, like just, it's just a threshold. You got to be ready to go. You got to do the whole thing three times. There's really no excuse unless you get called two days before and there's no time to prepare, but most people don't have that.
0: Right. And, you know, you reminded me of the wife of a presidential candidate some years back where a member of their campaign team had her watch herself with the television on mute just so she could see the nonverbal and within seconds she immediately knew what this exercise was about and set about making changes because your body can speak so much more loudly than anything that comes out of your mouth so i thank you for sharing that that strategy uh steve
1: yeah, well, it's it's worked for me, and it's worked for people I've I've worked and coached with. So, uh, and it's by the way, it is painful. We all know this. That, you know, you hear your voice on recording, like I sound terrible, and I always want to say to people, "That's how you sound all the time." Now, just it's okay, it's it's all right. But get used to it. Rather learn it on your own, the privacy of your own house or apartment, than than to do something incorrect that you could have fixed along the way, like like the like the spouse of that uh, candidate. So th- that's great advice for sure, for sure.
0: Okay, I know I said in a few minutes, something like 10 minutes ago, that you would be able to ask me a question. Here goes, what's the question, Steve?
1: Okay, I was trying to think of, should we do science, history, politics, and I decided actually something much better. I just would love to know, for you, what's something about yourself, that we couldn't ever find on a Google search that just would be kind of fun to share. What's something that's ungoogleable about you that would just be kind of interesting or a little side of you we we, we would never see otherwise?
0: Wow, 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 wow. That is a question that probably I could answer with a laundry list of things because I don't share a whole lot about myself. <laughs> Yeah. so I can pick probably almost anything you know what this is what I will share and I'm about to turn this into a therapy session <laughs> All
1: right, and this is a safe space so go ahead
0: <laughs> so one thing you are probably not likely to find in an internet search about me is yeah I'll go a fun route I drive with both feet and I it's not it's it's an automatic Ooh. vehicle I have always driven with both feet. When I learned to drive, I insisted on using both feet. I, I didn't see how that made any sense. You have two pedals, you have two feet. Why one. don't you dedicate one foot to
1: the accelerator and one foot to the brake? Like, why are you using one foot to switch between two pedals? So <laughs> that is okay. I would not have seen that coming. And yet it makes total sense. I think there's really, you know, if it works for you, then rock and roll. It, it yeah, the two for two. You know, it's like you're you have to choose. You know, one or the other. That's that's interesting. That's really kind of fun. I
0: just,
1: there was no logic behind it to me
0: from the beginning. And when I was learning to, to drive, and you know, the person who was teaching me just constantly would insist, you know, come on, just use one foot. But why? And I also drive, I know it's illegal, so if there are any Uh-oh. law enforcement officials listening to the episode, please don't come and
1: cite me. Uh-oh. I drive with no shoes. Uh oh. actually is that not to be weird Is that is that not allowed? Is that not a I didn't know it was a thing. I mean it
0: is. Okay. Growing up in Texas back in the day, my understanding was it was illegal.
1: And, 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 be, and, and I, I, I hear we are just guessing about traffic laws, but I didn't know that. But I guess also if it works for you, you know, I mean, that's... Well,
0: you know, that was another one of those things when it comes to logic for me, Steve. I was like, okay, if I'm driving with no shoes on, how will you know? How can you pull me over and say, I'm citing you for operating a motor vehicle with no footwear on? I mean, how are you, know, you going to know? Right. So, and, and then my logic behind it was... No matter the vehicle that I'm in, if I'm using the same bottom of my foot, I know how to react, right? I mean, versus having on heels versus flip flops versus sneakers versus loafers, you're going to have to react differently. But if I just have no shoes on all the time, it's going to feel the same. I know. Yeah. Okay. Can I there can I are. confess
1: something along those lines? So a few years ago, I was a cross country runner in high school. I lo- did some track. I loved to run, but I had some leg issues and actually tore my Achilles heel a few years back. And I had one of those like big solid boots that almost like a ski boot that goes up your entire up to your knee on my right foot, and so I had to travel to uh, a rural, r- relatively rural part of Idaho, and I had to. There's no like an Uber, it was a multiple hour drive. So I, I flew there, landed, got my rental car and I drove the entire way with my left foot, even though they said, don't drive with your big boot on. So, um, but anyway, so so hopefully it's statute of limitations is passed, they can't prove it. And um, there I just, there I said it, I feel so much better. So. I
0: see the headlines now, Steve, two professional oh. speakers get called off.
1: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> <jail. Right>. exactly. <laughs> Oh, that's too funny. Yeah, we we've outed ourselves here. Uh-oh. That's not good.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Steve, what else do our listeners need to know from you in order to make sure they own the microphone? Or what you know what? Actually, before I get into that, I want to know what's new. What's what's on the horizon for you?
1: What's sure. what's happening well, new for you? There's I've always wanted to have a, a chance to to parlay what I do onto a I don't call it a social way, but like something that's really current in the, you know, if you know, for the last couple of years, the, the Ted Lasso has been a big, you know, um, you know, the the comedy, the, this I don't know, dramedy series, I don't know, on on Apple Plus. And, uh, you know, it's about the American foot, football coach who goes over and, and coaches uh, an English soccer team, you know, to use Americanized terms. And so I, I have a program that is my team building program that I've kind of renamed, which is basically the Ted Lasso effect how to build teams that helps everyone feel like a winner and so it takes a real tight sliver of what the best improv folks do about making their team look good reacting to situations building an atmosphere where everyone does get elevated and it's amazing how you kind of when you spin the camera around from focusing on yourself and your own results and really focus on other people and elevating them it really does, the, the, you know, the rising tide, you know, all ships rise in the rising tide, whatever the term is. But it's been, it's just been fun to be able to kind of use a little bit of that, that current, uh, you know, kind of, again, what the term is, but basically, the, you know, cultural kind of phenomenon of Ted Lasso. And again, I just use a few quotes from, you know, nothing proprietary. I don't use any, any footage. I just say, here's something that he said, or, or here's how he recognizes as a good leader, a good manager. It's not a one size fits all. Just like any parent knows, you can't, if you have more than one kid, the same discipline on one doesn't even affect the other one. So it's up to you, the parent or the manager, to adjust your approach to, to bring out the best in people and, and help them out. And so it just, it's, it's been kind of a fun program. So it's, I mean, at home that'll, that'll last, so I'll have to tweak the title, but I've always wanted to have something that's kind of quasi-current.
0: Oh, that's kind of cool. I like that. I like that a lot. What else do listeners need to know from you in order to make sure they are just showing up as their most awesome selves on the microphone?
1: Well, I love that question. And I this will. there's a per, reason why I'm asking this. What part of Texas are you from?
0: I am originally from Beaumont. Oh,
1: okay, cool. So uh, I was just asking because uh, there's some research and this, this is a, I think a big deal. This is at least one part of the research is out of the University of Texas in, in Austin, and um, it's since been replicated elsewhere, and it's pretty complicated, but, but the net result of the research was they basically were able to identify that about up to 70 percent seven zero, seventy 7-0, 70% of our self-talk is negative. Like we're the first people to run ourselves down. We will undercut our resolve. We will accuse ourselves. We will say it's a stupid idea or that's dumb or that no one's going to like this, that sort of thing. So I say to people, both before you get on stage, as you practice, but especially as you do get on stage, is to say your first yes needs to be to yourself. In other words, we talk about everything being an offer. Well, even in, your, in our own minds, right, you have a thought or an idea or an inclination that pops up and you say, I really should say that, but you know what? That negative 70% comes and says, that's dumb, that's stupid, they'll 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 not respond well to that, so shut it down. So I always say your first yes, before you can say yes to your peers, so to speak, you gotta say yes between your ears. Okay, so I guess that, that rhymes, huh? But so so for you to be authentic on stage, if, as as Bridget said a moment ago, something pops up, or are you I wasn't gonna tell this story, but it just feels right right now run with that run with that inclination inclination you know ride that wave because with rare if not ever circumstances it's probably a good idea is it brilliant maybe not but but i always say to people don't rob your team don't rob your audience don't rob your colleagues or your or your your workshop attendees of what could be a potentially cool breakthrough idea and it could even lead to like your story which you said you know a couple years ago was just Amazing. I'm glad you had the wherewithal to say yes to yourself, push past any negativity. And and look, I mean, it was so, obviously people are listening, but I was able to see your face light up as you told that story. I'm so glad you did tell that story. I'm glad your audience heard that story. So in terms of being authentic, the more we say no to ourselves, the more we step away from our authenticity, right? So, so if your authentic self would have said this thing or done this thing, then you need to run with it. And the more you clamp that down and say no, then you're kind of a different version of yourself. It's almost like a copy of a copy of a copy eventually it becomes unreadable, right? So that's, I'd say you got to get past that negativity and the yes begins in your brain before you say yes to other people. Ooh,
0: man, oh man, Steve, I really, 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 really like that. (laughs) Like three or four really that's awesome yeah <laughs> really 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 yeah. man oh man I, this this was an incredible conversation I really appreciate you
1: cool well gosh I I love to talk about this stuff I love that your podcast is out there and making a difference and I appreciate you inviting me on It's it's been a lot of fun yeah, for
0: sure. For sure. Steve uh, Hughes, thank you so much for being on the show and just just sharing incredible insights, great stories, and some funny moments. And, uh, you know, hey, maybe we'll end up as cellmates. I don't know. Oh, um, that,
1: that would be, <laughs> be great. So I don't know which state we'll be in, but it will work out together. it be fun. Um, I want to say also, if people are interested, I have a a, a free uh, report that I wrote up, which is basically this idea of, of how do you psych yourself up for your big moments. Like, like, what are some things you can do to get yourself in the right framework, the right frame of mind before a big interview, before a big presentation, a keynote, uh, a high stakes meeting, wherever it might be. So if people are interested, I'm happy to share it with you and, and they can get it through your, through the podcast or whatever link might be out there, but I'm happy to share it. It's, it's basically, it's how to psych yourself up for your big moment. So I'd love to share that with people.
0: We will uh, make sure that that ends up in the show notes. So listeners, scroll down, check out the show notes, click that link and get that report from Steve. Uh, I know it's going to be something invaluable you really want to add to your library for
1: sure. Steve
0: Hughes, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: You're sure welcome. Thank you for having me. It was was, just great.
0: Awesome. 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 And to the listeners, thank you for tuning in. This is Bridget McGowan. Until next time, make sure you always own the microphone.